Well, it is absolutely glorious to be here, and I've got a challenging assignment this morning, and it's a very serious one. And I, told, I feel totally inadequate. I think that anybody would be inadequate, even if they were the greatest orator who ever lived, had the greatest intelligence that any person could ever have, the greatest knowledge of everything that they could be knowledgeable about. I don't think anybody could even begin to do justice to what I need to talk to you about this morning. The scripture says, he is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. One of the great, in a sense, tragedies is our familiarity with Jesus, having been brought up in a, more or less a Christian country, having heard about him all of our lives, is somewhat of a hindrance for us to see him as he truly, really is above all. I think that if I could speak with the greatest eloquence that would be possible of any speaker that ever lived here this morning, it'd only be about really 1% of how he truly is above all. I love the worship this morning. It was powerful. It was great. But even the greatest worship, and this is just about as good as it gets, could never even come close to being able to exalt him who is above all to the degree that he truly is above all. I think of the frustration of all of that and I would ask you this morning, could one little glass of water wash a thousand dirty hands? Or could one little coal uh, bring warmth to a thousand or a hundred or whatever fireplaces? Or could one rose be able to stifle the atmosphere of the St. John pulp mill? Uh, it couldn't happen. It doesn't happen. It can't happen. And so I ask you this morning, could anybody, anybody with the greatest capability properly describe to us all this morning this Jesus who is above all? Why do we say that? He was heaven's beauty for earth's ugliness. He was heaven's bread for earth's hungry. He was heaven's grace for earth's guilt. He was heaven's glory for earth's shame. He was heaven's light for earth's darkness. He was heaven's peace for earth's strife. He was heaven's riches for earth's poverty. He was heaven's water for earth's thirsty. He was heaven's salvation for earth's damnation. He was heaven's love for earth's hate. Oh, my friends, is it a wonder that we declare him to be above all. And as we see him above all, we see him, he came, he entered by the way of a barn door. He left by the way of an old rugged cross. There's never been anybody in history that has been able to stir the heart, grip the mind, arouse the emotions like this one, this person who is above all. He was as much man as he had never been God. 
He was as much God as he had never been man. As a man, he hungered, but as God, he fed the 5,000. As a man, he went to sleep on a raging sea, but as God, he stilled the raging waters. As a man, he attended a wedding feast, but as God, he turned the water into wine. As a man, he went to a funeral, but as God, he raised the dead. Oh, my friends, as a man, he hung on an old rugged cross, but as God, he pushed away the bars of death, and up from the grave he arose. And that's the reason, my friends, I say to you, and yet I can't describe it to the degree that it needs to be described. He is above all. And somehow or another, if there's anything that could be accomplished here this morning is for us to somehow gain a renewed appreciation and understanding and insight, just a little bit of a glimpse of how he is so much above all and then to make him above all in our own hearts and our own lives. Nobody was ever, ever able to say, I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I am the true vine, I am the bread of life, I am the water of life, but Jesus, this one who is above all, was able to declare it. I would ask you this morning, is there any salt that cannot lose its saltiness? Is there any flower that cannot lose its fragrance? Is there any light that cannot be eclipsed? But as we see this one who is above all, he is the light ever shining. He is the ocean ever full. He is the fountain ever gushing. He is the river ever flowing. Why? Because he from heaven is above all. He is above all in how he related to every walk of life and everybody at every level in life. To the, to the, um, the baker he is the bread of life. To the geologist, he is the rock of ages. To the artist, he's the altogether lovely one. To the architect, he is a sure foundation. Isn't it wonderful how he wants to impact everybody at every level? To the witness, he is the living and the true witness. To the doctor, he is a great physician. To the judge, he is the one who judges in all righteousness. But here is what is most important as we think of him being above all to the sinner. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is. He is above all. There has never been any sin, any bondage of sin that has ever been forged, any change of sin that has ever been forged in the fires of the hottest hell that cannot be broken by this one that we declare and the Bible declares to be above all. Isn't that someone that you would want to make above all in your life? Doesn't he deserve here this morning to be above all? in every one of our lives and to be at the center of every one of our lives. We see him being above all in every part of his life. Even the prophecies concerning him. To Micah it was declared where he would be born. Uh, to Daniel it was declared when he would be born. We see him above all and really and truly in his birth. 
Have you ever heard tell of a child that was thousands of years older than their mother? He was above all, he was the heavenly child of an earthly mother, and he was the earthly child of a heavenly father. Truly, above all, as we see him in his birth, if we had been choosing where he were to be born, considering how he is above all and his greatness and his glory and his grace and everything that we know about him today, we would have chosen for him to be born in a castle. But what did God choose? What did God choose? He chose him to be born in a barn, in the stink of a stable. We would have chosen fragrances of the most expensive kind that would, that would uh, make this all the more important. But all that God had was the stink of a stable. If we had been choosing, if we had been choosing for him to be born, we would have had the most expensive satin and linen clothing, but Jesus had the swaddling clothes of a peasant woman. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing when you stop and think it through that he who was so rich for you and I became so poor, and yet mankind in some degree in our blindness and our stupidity, we who are so poor sometimes pretend to be so rich and there's nothing in comparison with this one who is above all we even see how he is above all in his early days every class of people worshiped him we see uh, the shepherds worshiping him which would represent the working class but why is that so appropriate because he is the end of all true work and then we see him we not only see the the working class, we see the worshiping class in Simeon and Anna coming to worship him. Well, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge as we think of the wise man at worshiping him. In him are hidden all the uh, uh, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as we think of that worshiping class, worshiping him one of these days, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him to be the glory of God to the, of the Father. He is above all. He is above all as we see him in his life. It is so interesting that this really grabs me in a sense he was never in a hurry, but there's a sense in which why did he need to be in a hurry? He was the beginning and the end. And then we see him. He hungered, but he was the bread of life. He thirsted, but he was the water of life. We see him being so great and the king of kings, but the kings of the day sought to kill him. We see him, the greatest teacher who has ever lived. The Bible says that nobody ever spoke like Jesus spoke, and yet the scribes of the day would have nothing to do with him. He taught in the most unbelievable paradoxes and with the most unbelievable wisdom that could ever be imagined and I think rarely fully comprehended because as we see him, he taught that we get up by getting down. We hang on by letting go. We live by dying. We receive by giving. We become wise by becoming foolish. We win by losing. 
above all. Above all in his teaching. Above all in the way he lived. Above all, it's interesting that, it's interesting that he was ahead of no armies when you think of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But I'll tell you what, my friends, he is a captain of a spiritual army that is greater and more powerful than all the armies of all the Caesars and Napoleons and the Hitlers who have ever lived because he is. And the reason he can be that is because he's above all. He's above all as we see him in that he never wrote any books. But more books have been written about him than any other human being who's ever lived. Never founded any institutions, but there are more institutions founded out of the inspiration of his life than any other human, any other person who's ever lived. Why? He's above all. Can you see it? Can you appreciate it? Can you absorb it? Can you comprehend it? I doubt it. I don't think any of us really can. I'm not suggesting you should be able to. I know I can't fully comprehend it myself, even though I've tried to study it all my life to the degree that he truly is above all. He was above all, not only in the way he lived, not only in his life, but he was above all for sure in the way he died. I mean, it is so interesting to me that he, in his compassion and love, he took some clay and spit in that clay and mixed it and put it on the eyes of a person so they could see, but we spit in his face so he could hardly see at all. He left a crown of glory, but he took upon himself a crown of thorns. I know we know all this, but just think about it this morning. Think about it this morning, how that all of that, he is so much above all. Then we see him when he was put in that grave and uh, every force imaginable tried to keep him from rising again. Pilate said, make it as sure as you can. What did they do? They made it as sure as they could, but that was not good enough. They, nature tried to conceal him with a big rock in front of the tomb, but in spite of everything nature might be able to do to destroy anything and to keep anything from being what it should be, I tell you, my friends, up from the grave he arose. He's above all. In his resurrection, that has never happened with anybody. Then we see how that the power of the Roman government, which was so all-powerful with their guards standing around, tried to keep him from rising again. But because he is above all, up from the grave he arose. And then we see how that the Pharisees, with their unbelief, tried to discredit the fact that he had risen from the dead. But what happens? Listen to this. What happens whenever unbelief tries to bury the truth? The truth. The truth. And Jesus is the way, the what? The truth and the life. When Phariseeism, unbelief of any country or any people or any intelligence ever tries to bury the truth, I tell you, my friend, this morning, truth is powerful and truth will rise again in the midst of the funeral procession to outlive the pallbearers because Jesus Christ is the truth. He lives today. He's above all. Do you believe it? Do you see it? He's above all. 
and his resurrection. Of course, of course, most important of all, he's above all in his power to save. And, and you all in this place know that. So I'm not going to spend time on that. But I do think I will spend some time on what I believe will be most important to us here today. I think of a great black preacher who had been brought up in slavery, pastored a great church in Richmond, Virginia, John Jasper. And John Jasper became a great orator, and uh, he would make what I'm trying to do here this morning look sick. But even then, it wouldn't be enough to describe how that Jesus is above all. And he stood before his congregation one Sunday morning, spent a lot of time thinking and praying and preparing to talk to the people about the glory of heaven. And it gripped him with such emotion, such conviction. There was so much depth to it as he thought about heaven and what Jesus had gone to prepare for him. He stood before that congregation, hand on the side of the pulpit, couldn't say a word. And he started to leave, to go out through the study door on the, on the side and wave for the people to go. But they were so anticipatory of what was going to take place. They sat there. They were enthralled by this great preacher. He saw that they weren't going to leave, so he came back again. He stood there, and he tried to say something, but nothing would come out. The only thing that would happen were tears streaming down his face as he was thinking about the one who is above all and that someday he would see him and they could see him and it was just too much for him. So he tried to leave again and they, the people, and waved for them to go. He couldn't speak. They wouldn't go. He came back, tried it again. Several times he did that. And then finally he was able to get his composure enough. He talked about, he said, when I get to the gates of heaven, and the mighty angel says to me, John Jasper, what would you like? Would you like your slippers so that you can walk on the golden streets? Oh, John Jasper said, of course, I'd like my golden slippers to walk on the golden streets, but not now, not now. Well, John Jasper, would you like your white linen cloak that is prepared for you. Oh, of course. I want that white linen cloak, beautiful and pure. But he said, not now. Not now. They said, John Jasper, she said, the, the mighty angel said, John Jasper, would you, would you like the crown that is prepared for you? Oh, of course. He said, I want the crown prepared for me. But not now. Not now. And so the mighty angel tried to say more and said, John Jasper, would you like to meet Elijah who brought the fire down from heaven? Would you like to meet uh, Paul who was the greatest soul winner ever lived and traveled so far to get so much done and that 
That travel is just astounding. If you've ever been over there, and I've been to several of those places, I just can hardly believe how that could have all happened. But Paul had a great message that changed people's lives. He said, yes, of course I want to see Elijah. Of course I want to see Moses. Of course I want to see Paul. But not now. Not now. He said, I want to see my Jesus. And my friends, when he is above all, when he's above all, that is what will be more. Now hear me, hear the word, hear the word, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit on here for a bit. Hear the word, more important than anything else. And when he is more important than anything else, that is what can set us free. He came to set us free. I do not want to be in any judging position, but just in all the counseling and all the interaction that I've had over the years with pastors and many other people, a church, the people of my congregation, it is my contention that a lot of people are carrying around a lot of baggage and they're in a lot of bondage that they really don't need to be in. Because what did Jesus do? He said, hold to these teachings of mine and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Now, that is not bondage. That is not stress. That is not pain when we are truly set free. So what has to happen? He needs to be above all. How does that translate? You know, here's what I believe, and I, I think you are probably one of the smartest groups of people I ever preached to in my life. I don't know that for sure, but I'm going to assume that. <laughs> and if you were the smartest people in the world, then you still wouldn't be able possibly to comprehend this one thing. What does it truly mean to have Jesus at the very center of your life so that he is above everything else that ever could be imagined, that ever could intrude, that ever could compromise him being the center of your life. I think when the average preacher gets up and talks about being Christ-centered, it doesn't hardly mean a thing. It, has, it probably means a little bit, but for us to really fully comprehend what it is to have him at the center so that he truly is above all is maybe a little bit of a challenge to, in practical ways, to translate that and to figure that out. This may help. Different people oftentimes have different centers depending upon what's important to them. I think our center can be best defined by what is most important to me. And I also think sometimes we think certain things, or we may think that Jesus is most important to me, but when we put that to the test, we don't pass. Because other things, when we examine ourselves, and that's what David said to do, examine me, O Lord, we may see that something else is more important, even though we are surprised and shocked to find that out. I did that very thing in my own life. I'm not going to go into details about that this morning because I don't want to take the time to do that right now, maybe someday. But I was shocked to discover that there, were, there, there was a center 
in my life because of what was most important to me that wasn't the thing that should have been most important to me. And that was after I was a pastor. That's kind of sick and sorry, isn't it? But it's the truth. And facing up the truth, applying the truth, is what sets us free. So what do I mean? When I think of a center, it's what is most important. And most things that may be important to most people are changing things. There may be times when those things that we have our security or our life tied to that is so important to us, those things sometimes can be going good and we feel good. And sometimes they can be going south and we feel bad. I'll give you an example. There are some people who, for example, there are many different centers that people could have. It could be money-centered, education-centered, possession-centered, materialistic-centered, sin-centered, pleasure-centered. There's no end to the number of centers that different people may have. Usually it's one center that supersedes, of course, every other center. And let's just take for an example a person who is money-centered. They got lots of money. So when they have lots of money, they, are, they feel good. They feel confident. They feel relaxed. There's lack, they, they feel a sense of accomplishment because they're doing better than what some of their peers are doing. But then if they lose their money, it puts them in such bondage they commit suicide. Why? They got the wrong center because those things can change. And if we have a center that is changeable, we're going to be all over the place. They could be, we'll say, someone who is very wealthy and have accomplished a lot, but then they're around people who have done far better than they have, and because this is so important to them, then when they're with people who've done better in their field than what they have done, they feel inferior, inhibited, and intimidated, and they lose their peace. So what's the answer to that? The answer is to make Jesus the center, because what does the Bible say about Jesus? He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday forever. So if we tie our life to something that is unchangeable, then there's going to be stability and there's going to be strength and there's going to be security and there's going to be peace and there'll be a lack of stress. Now, how does that translate? As we think of how do we make him center? That's a big question. How, what does it mean when he, what what does it really mean when he's at the center? How does that show itself in practical, everyday living terms? Because of my own struggle in this, I began to study and pray and seek and search and came to this conclusion, that when Jesus is at the center, we will be Christ-like. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be Christ-like when Jesus is at the center? As I see Jesus, I see Jesus never being concerned whatsoever about how people made him feel about himself. He was not concerned about making an impression that was never on the radar. Not concerned about what people said or the encouragement that people might have given to him. He wasn't fishing for compliments or anything else because that was not even a part of what his emotions were or what his thinking was. What did Jesus do? Jesus was always consumed about helping others, 
He was always consumed about adding value to other people's lives. He was always consumed of what he, of doing for others, whether it had to be a confrontation or a compliment or whatever it was, what would be in their best interest to help them. I used to be in a setting that, uh, well, I should put it this way, first of all. There were certain settings that I could pontificate with confidence and conviction. And then there are other settings that I would be in bondage, inhibited, and intimidated. And I began to think this through and began to try to practice this. Never be thinking about what somebody else might be thinking about me or saying about me or trying to compliment me. Just, just don't even have that as a thought. Just think what I can do to bless someone else and to make somebody else's life what God meant, it, meant for it to be by anything I could say or anything I could do. I want to tell you something, friends. That set me free. I used to be, because of, of this bondage, if I was with people that maybe I would think weren't doing as well as I was doing, I could, I could be confident. Then when I was around people who were better educated, be, had a greater standing in society, or had more, had, were more powerful in their responsibilities, I was inhibited and intimidated and in bondage. But when I began to practice making Jesus first and foremost and above all and truly being at the center the way that he would be through my trying to do this, in his will and making that a practice through my life, I was set free. Now listen, I can be with any group of people now at this stage of my life as a result of that, of any standing, and be free. You can, you can ask me about any place or any group of people, no matter how powerful or no matter, and here's the beauty of it. It puts you in a place where you don't feel superior to anybody, or you don't feel inferior to anybody. That's freedom. That's freedom. But the only way is to make him above all. And I doubt that there's anybody this morning, if you think it through, how he truly is above all in every way and everywhere with every person, that you would have any hesitancy whatsoever to allow him to be first, foremost, at the center, and above.